Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm today's host, Alok Tai. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Vibe Bio, and Vibe partners with patient communities to develop novel therapies. I'm really excited to be joined today by Dr. Tim Miller, the CEO, president, and co-founder of Forge, and Dr. Arandi De Silva, the SVP of product development and co-founder. Today, we'll be talking a little bit about their novel model of using hub and spoke approach to develop gene therapies, some of their clinical stage programs, as well as the interesting work that they're doing in the Midwest ecosystem to develop biotechs. Tim Arandi, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. You know, maybe to kick us off, we'd love it if you both could give us a quick intro on yourselves and your background and how you got to where you are today. Sure, happy to. And uh, thanks for having us on today. So, you know, to tell you a little bit about myself, a PhD by training, but I've been in academic and biotech industry for about 25 years, going back into the late 90s. Did a bachelor's and a master's in uh, molecular genetics as well. So, it's been a lot of my career, early career, focusing on the academic space for you know, molecular biology. And just when we started to think about when PCR became a new thing back then, that's really helped change the face of how we do genetic medicine and treatments now. But I've spent um, a lot of my career in biotech companies and gene and cell therapy, you know, really tried to help push the field forward, really novel ways to approach really for patient care and have been a public and private company CEO and gene therapy companies for almost the last 10 years. So uh, looking forward to telling you more about Forge today and I'll turn it over to Randy. Thanks a lot for having us, Randy De Silva. I'm also a scientist by training, PhD in molecular biology, and I've uh, been in really preclinical development ever since. So for the past decade, worked both in academic and industry settings, working on real you know, pipeline growth and development of projects to see them into the clinic. Became an entrepreneur a little bit by way of necessity. I moved from the Bay Area to Ohio, which is where Forge Biologics is headquartered, about seven years ago. And there was really not too much biotech in the region. Tim Miller's company, previous company, was actually one of the few, but that was a bit north of us here. And the biotech ecosystem has just exploded here in Columbus in the last few years. And just so excited to be part of building what I think is one of the flagship companies here in Columbus, Ohio. You know, I'm kind of curious, like as you think about today's modern world being often remote first, curious if you see that as an advantage or a detractor for you, you know, being based in Ohio. I think that we look at it as an advantage, especially coming out of the pandemic. Company was founded in the beginning of 2020, and neither Randy nor I really envisioned having to do a Series A, you know, and then a Series B financing rounds in the middle of the pandemic. It certainly changed the way how we thought about raising money for biotech and for gene and cell therapy companies. But, you know, one of the things that it actually enabled us to do is get a lot of top tier leadership and management talent in because, you know, there are certain operations that you don't need to be in a lab or on a manufacturing floor. And that enabled us, I think, to recruit these people in, build the value of the company and have them bring on additional team members. So for us, I think it's been a, a real value add and only added to our story. I mean, that said, there are really, you know, bench side jobs that cannot be remotely done. And I think having that leadership team of excellence and of great network pull that we were able to establish through this opportunistic environment with the pandemic really helped us to pull in those bench side folks and that great talent that we have here doing the day-to-day -day operations. And for what it's worth, I mean, ever since we opened the doors of this company, we have been able to have most of the people on site and really building from the ground up and continue to do so today. 
Awesome. So, you know, maybe to kick us off in terms of the discussion, would love to learn a little bit more about Fort Biologics and the business model of how you operate. There's obviously a lot of need for gene therapies and a lot of investment going in both onto the therapeutic development side as well as the manufacturing side. But it seems like you have a really interesting mix of both of those facets. You know, when we were trying to approach this, a lot of us have a strong therapeutics background that utilize manufacturing as an important piece of the gene and cell therapy puzzle. And, you know, there's some of it a running joke, but, you know, in gene and cell therapy companies, you never really hear about this thing called revenue. So, you know, we often, and many of us, you know, working together for the past 10, 15 years have faced this manufacturing constraint about trying to get to a place where you could manufacture gene therapies at scale. And it's often been very, very difficult. If you look back over the 2014 to 2017 timeframe of trying to get boards to really support build out of growth and say, oh, go find a CDMO. At that stage in time, there really wasn't a lot of them. And now, you know, part of our model was to say, well, how can we really focus this? And so we didn't develop the novel model ourselves, but utilize what's called the hub and spoke model, where you've got a private LLC and then you've got spokes C-Corp blockers that come in underneath that. So investors put money into the LLC and the money gets pushed into the subs as they need that. So all of our company really is based in the CDMO function, but we help as a CDMO with a soul, you know, to go on and build more therapeutic programs, you know, that we're able to both either build internally or in license. But, you know, I'll turn over to Randy to offer some more commentary too. Yeah, I think in the visioning of this company, we saw it as a necessity to build it this way as a hybrid model. We were building this massive, you know, 200,000 square foot facility with enormous capabilities for quickly manufacturing and scaling AAV-based gene therapies, right? And putting a lot of people with a lot of talent behind that scale-up and manufacturing problem. But in order to not leave the therapeutics pipeline behind, we felt that we needed to structure this company in a way that we could take advantage of the manufacturing capabilities and service offerings that we have to accelerate our own pipeline. And that's really because, you know, to speak to Tim's point about being a company with soul, that's what drives a lot of us. Yeah. And there's, you know, the model itself exists out there. I mean, Elevate Bio, Ask Bio, some of the other companies are very similar in their, I think, their structure. The biotech community, the pharma community, I think is a little bit familiar. It's not as common. Yeah. Awesome. It's interesting in that, I guess it allows one to develop an internal competency that could then potentially be leveraged across different domains, which seems interesting. From our prior discussion, it sounds like one of those areas of competency is developing new capacity and approaches to the manufacturing process. Any chance you could share a little bit more detail about that? An interesting facet that I think we underappreciated was really the team's regulatory exposure in previous companies that's been brought in here. So a lot of our company has worked with the FDA, the EMA in Europe, with the TGA in Australia, others, you know, and basically because we have our own small pipeline, you know, we're able to get our own products using our own facility, cell lines, process, you know, in front of the agency. And we can go to, you know, clients and say, hey, look, the agency has bought in or given us this feedback on these things. Why don't you use some of that in the development of your own products? You know, that's been a big value add, I think, for Forge and, you know, definitely one of the reasons why a number of, I think, companies have decided to come and work with us to develop their own novel products. Yeah, we're absolutely able to say that we're kind of at the tip of the spear, pushing our programs forward and really presenting our, again, facility process methods to the agencies before our clients have the opportunity to do so. Awesome. That's helpful. 
And in terms of the clinical programs that you have, would love to learn a little bit about both their origins as well as the types of diseases that you see as being the highest potential for Forge. Absolutely. So we are at Forge, a gene therapy company. And to date, a lot of the gene therapies that are being made across various biotech companies are really focused on addressing diseases that are genetically driven and often that are rare diseases. So our small pipeline that we have consists of two rare diseases that we're trying to address through making specific gene therapies. And our lead program is actually a clinical stage program in licensed from an academic institution brought in. And we we really put the infrastructure around that program to help move it through the IND and into the clinical testing stages, right? Including the manufacturing aspects of that. So our lead program is for a disease called CRABA which is an aggressive neurodegenerative disorder that happens to, in its most aggressive form, kill children by the age of two. It causes a rapid demyelination of nerves, both in the brain and in the peripheral nervous system, and is really quite aggressive. So our approach is a novel one where we are combining the standard of care, which is a hematopoietic stem cell transplant, and adding on top of that a gene therapy approach to replace the missing gene in these affected patients. So we're really excited to see you know, the potential impacts of this in the clinical setting because we have great preclinical data to support this approach. Yeah, I can't say how excited we are about this. I mean, this is a first in human type of approach that helps solve for a lot of the challenges that the gene therapy is, has, I think, faced in some specific approaches. And we often read a lot, right, in the social media domain about, you know, hey, there have been some challenges on immune challenges and things. And you often forget to hear about, you know, if there's a patient trial with 50 patients in it, you might hear something negative about one patient where 49 other patients get a functional cure. You know, so our approach, you know, in this particular program helps solve for some of those immune challenges and um, actually has the potential to extend the durability and the length of benefit that many patients would observe. Amazing. That's great. Now, as you pursue Crabe amongst others, How do you sort of see the focus of the organization changing over time? Is the intent to sort of have a CDMO core that sort of maintains, will balance shift more to the outer rim, if you will? How do you sort of see the evolution there? That was almost a Star Wars reference, which is a, you know, we love to have those uh, in the company. So, you know, we're 95% CDMO focused and that's that's not going to change. We serve a really interesting nexus point in the biotech ecosystem, you know, and it's a focus point for us to talk about with a lot of the team members that, you know, We do have one small program in the clinical stage, but, you know, and that helps us kind of ground our roots, you know, and why we do this. But, you know, really at our core, we don't just serve that patient population. We serve dozens of patient populations because we manufacture products for many of our clients. If we fail, they fail, which means patients don't get access to these drugs. So part of the core vision around a lot of what Forge is trying to do is make sure that we're enabling access, you know, as fast as possible for these experimental gene therapies that really have the potential to save lives. Awesome. Well, it certainly seems like a a novel way to start to validate new technologies and approaches, right? By having your own pipeline and being front and center with the regulatory authorities. I could certainly see that as giving reassurance, if you will, to your potential customers. One of the really cool things about Forge right now is that we have the capacity by the end of the third quarter, we'll have 20 GMP rooms, so good manufacturing practice, that are scaled up to 5,000 liter bioreactors. Why is that important? Well, besides the fact that those will be the largest in the industry doing 
suspension AAV culture this particular way. But let's talk about a case study for a second about why these are so important, the size of bioreactors. If we look at one of the most common genetic diseases for the Duchenne muscular dystrophy patient population, we hear a lot about that. Many groups are working on these programs. You know, but if we take a pretty typical patient dose, in the scientific terms, it's 1e to the 14th, right? We talk about the number of viral genomes a person gets per weight. You know, when you think about, well, there were 10,000 cases in 2019, what would it take to just treat 25% of those 2,500 patients? Well, when you start to do the math around how much vectors you would need to produce and how many bioreactors you would need to do that and what size of the bioreactors, you need about 750,000 liters of production. That's 750 runs of a thousand liter bioreactor. I don't need both hands, I think, to count the number of groups in the world that have 1,000-liter bioreactors up at that scale. Forge is putting in place 5,000-liter bioreactors to help that. To kind of finish that analogy, to be able to treat that patient population in 2023 using the existing space that's out there, it would take 47% of the industry bioreactor capacity to treat that patient population. That's why a group like Forge has such a robust business model and why we've had over 50 new client conversations in the beginning of 2022 alone. You know, Tim just outlined the scale of the problem in terms of just capacity required to manufacture these therapies for one indication. But you have to remember, there's a lot of know-how and expertise needed to do all of the analytics around every lot, make sure that it's safe and pure and the same as the last lot and of acceptable quality to administer to patients. And that's really, again, where we see Forge filling a a much needed gap because we have the expertise to do this. We have the talent in-house to do this. And we feel that we can enable this industry, not only in terms of scale, but also in terms of the services that go around the manufacturing piece. Yeah. And it prompts another question, which is in the gene therapy space, based on some work we're doing at Vibe, there's obviously a lot of capacity constraints that are out there, right? Uh, In terms of facilities, Obviously, you guys are, are starting to alleviate some of that. But I think there's also another challenge, which is often unspoken, is like the tech transfer problem, right? Whether it be a scientific institution into a manufacturing circumstance, or even from phase one clinical supply up to you know phase three, or even commercial supply at some point. Curious to hear how you are thinking about that tech transfer problem and the scale up as well, given that you know, unfortunately, biology and chemistry don't scale as well as we'd like them to. Yeah. I'd love to see no tech transfer happening. I'd love to build this facility and build this company to the scale where we can support the very earliest stage clients and many of them so that they're getting in to a platform process at the very earliest stages of preclinical development. And then that platform process can be scaled as the study sizes increase and as they move into clinical development and into commercial development. So I think the future is really less tech transfer, more platform process. I'd probably say, you know, we're really, really comfortable with the tech transfer process for gene therapies. Probably the more interesting thing that many groups, I think, have faced in the past, you know, two years is really supply chain challenges. That's one of the issues, you know, that affects everybody, whether it's a bioreactor bag or, you know, a rubber gasket, you know, that's stuck somewhere on a dock because, you know, know, we couldn't get it here. You know, everybody's been facing a lot of those challenges. And I think that the field has moved forward and there have been more groups helping to come in and meet that constraint. But, you know, that's a challenge that I think the field is still going to be ending up living through going into the next you know, year or two. 
Well, you know, with that, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the broader ecosystem that, you know, Forge has started to forge, if you will, in Ohio. You all sort of have some interesting internal programs and and support from the broader ecosystem, but then also see how Ohio as a venue, right, for biotech innovation has evolved as well. We have a lot of really neat workforce development programs that we're working with Ohio-based universities and that we are expanding. This is a way for us to help identify people very, very early where they're looking for a certification, you know, to learn how to do cell culture or just simple work to be able to come in to do something at our facility. We've got an intern program that this just this past year, we had 300 applicants for, for over 10 intern positions. You know, we have a culture that's really super supportive of internal growth. And I know Arandi can comment a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, about half of our company, and it's a more than 150 person company at this point, is actually women. So we started a group called She Forges, which really celebrates women at the company, helps them to really identify and pursue their career goals, and hopefully grow with the company as we grow so that we can see more and more of these women partake in the leadership positions. So we're really excited to have that in the company as well. Wonderful. And if you were to say, look out five to 10 years from now, what would you sort of see the broader Midwest biotech ecosystem looking like? Columbus has a great venture capital group that's the largest in the Midwest called Drive Capital, you know, and they just raised their third fund. You know, more and more what we're seeing in the Midwest and in Ohio in particular is just a significant level of expansion. There's also a boomerang effect there, right? The pandemic, we've seen that. People wanting to move away from the coast, come back to roots. The cost of living in Ohio is great for the same buck that you might get on the coasts. And as just we look forward, every week that goes by, there seems to be a new plant, a new company that's basically done an announcement that they're going to do a build in and around central Ohio. So you know, this, I think, really bodes well because it'll continue to feed the ecosystem in biotech and in pharma. I think that's a great place for us to start. And now that there's more and more venture capital dollars coming in, that I think will super be super transformative. Yeah, it's interesting, right? You kind of need multiple reagents, if you will, at the same time in order to get an interesting product out. Curious to hear your thoughts since we you commented on it earlier, which is the capital part has always historically been, I think, a constraint, right? Let's say 10, 20 years ago in biotech. It's safe to say that there's more capital available today, but tends to be concentrated perhaps on a smaller percentage of transactions. Do you think being in a remote first world, as well as in a growing hub, changes, improves your chances to be able to access capital to accomplish the the vision you want to realize? I think so. I mean, in 2020 alone, there were 31 companies that announced expansions or relocations to the Columbus region. Now that totaled over $800 million in funding, and it created almost $150 million in payroll. You know, when we think about the amount of manufacturing, I mean, it's home to over 1,700 manufacturing establishments with nearly almost 100,000 employees. This is 15 billion in annual economic output. So, you know, as we think about, you know, the next five to 10 years look like, you know, I think that the Midwest in particular and Columbus is a specific city in the Midwest is well positioned to help continue to recruit not just talent, but really the dollars to help make a lot of these programs effective. And I know that the government, you know, the Ohio government is really focused as well on a gene and cell therapy group that's meant to continue to recruit top tier workforce, but also companies. We're also really anchored here in Columbus by one of the largest universities, Ohio State University in the U.S. And there are 30 different universities in the region just around here. So what we would love to be a part of is to help find jobs for all of those young graduates from life sciences degrees. 
so that they don't have to feel like they have to go to the Bay Area or to Cambridge to be a part of the biotech industry. We would love to change that trajectory for them. Here's a fun stat for you. Within um, about 20 hours drive of Columbus, you can reach 150 million people and 42,000 headquarters. That's about 46% of the country's population base and about 48% of the headquarters in operations. So from the ability to, when you start thinking about shipping and cold chain control and just the access for talent, you know, it tends to make for a lot of sense for people to be able to locate here. Yeah. And I think the one part that shouldn't be discounted is the existing intuition and supply chain that already supports the manufacturing base in the Midwest, right? I think when you're in the Bay Area or the Northeast, you know, manufacturing hasn't been as much of a core part of the economy, right, for quite some time. And especially with the chemicals, rubbers, other types of manufacturing that happens in the Midwest, I think there's some both supply chain, but then also like intuition and a know-how, right, that one could potentially leverage, I feel. Yeah, you know, I grew up in the Rust Belt, you know, so I mean, manufacturing is kind of in my blood, probably as iron particles, but I think about uh, manufacturing a lot. That's why it's been so much fun to start Forge, you know, here in the Midwest. And, you know, we're looking forward to continuing our build. Wonderful. Well, we'd love to thank you both for joining us today. I think uh, it's obviously a really interesting, exciting mission and exciting time to be both in biotech and uh, in the gene therapy field. So we'd certainly love to have you both on again uh, as uh, Forge evolves, but then also uh, to see how your your programs evolve as well. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by Alok Tai. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.